Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome to Drive-by Cinema, the podcast where we, myself Rick, and my co-host Paul, hi y'all, watch movies so you don't have to. This is Season 3, Episode 7. Episode 7. You're certainly not compelled to join us here in the queue for the popcorn. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, this momentous and historic week. Speaking of queues, Paul... I, I hear that you did queue and go and see <laughs> Her Majesty the Queen lying in Look, state. Only to months the whole operation, only to suggest some minimal viable product alterations to the whole queue coffin situation. I went there with my loudspeaker with my foghorn to shout out some engineering changes that I, I wanted them to make to the whole situation. Well, I'd heard that you went along assuming it was going to be like Gorbachev or Soviet leader style lying in state with an open casket. Yeah, definitely. So when they ushered you... Well, when they ushered you into that chamber, yeah, you, what you saw is a flag-covered plinth on which they were displaying her crown, her scepter and her orb. You just thought it was a preamble, didn't you, to the main event in the next room. And you were surprised when they ushered you out and you were outside leaving the whole experience. Yeah. Still, but I went there with suggestions to how they could change it because, like, it's very two D. Like, we've got people like walking either side of the. You can see it twice. You you go in, then you turn around, you see on the way out. I was thinking, why don't we just? (laughs) No, they don't go around it, Paul. Or whatever. Why don't you smash out the windows? (laughs) You obviously haven't really been, have you? (laughs) Smash out the windows of Winchester Cathedral, wherever it is. Yeah, and have travelators, like two level travelators. Okay, like, (laughs) can you imagine, like, like like Harris, like, like Tartan? So you've got. Uh, two parallel ones in the in the Y direction either side. So four travelators that that way, and then another four travelators interlacing in the X direction. Yeah. So you've got eight travelators just whiz people through, and have like a Kawasaki robot just twisting the coffin around so you can see it from all angles. As you, if you know Why didn't they just have a timed ticketing system? I've heard, you know, get do it online, but you're yeah. placing the queue. Go along at your appointed time. What's the problem with that? It's how they do it at the Louvre. Is it? Yeah. And what, it's very clever. What coffin can you see at the Louvre? Well, mostly Egyptians, I think. Wow. Egyptian rulers, still on display, you know, after millions of people have seen them. Amazing. Puts it all in perspective, really, doesn't it? Paul, last week, yeah. we discussed the movie 13, 13 Lies. 13 Lies. Thank God you didn't the, ask me that. The Thai cave rescue of the yeah, football team. We didn't really... Criticised Elon movie. Musk too much, did we, for his interjections no, and unhelpful I, I, suggestions? Mm, yeah, he was trying to be helpful, wasn't he? Although he suggested a submarine which couldn't possibly have worked, his yeah. heart was in the right place. Well, he's he's up he's up he's not Cave Alley. He's up he's up Creek Alley now without a paddle because he's got to buy Twitter now, hasn't he? But anyway, sorry, go on, continue, Richard. No, I, I, really, I've said what I was going to say. I think uh, he, he did make. A foolish suggestion, born of not knowing the environment, and then when he didn't know that, instead of instead of like saying sorry or instead of offering money, he didn't do that. I mean, he could have said, "Oh, I was wrong. Here's you know twenty million dollars," but he didn't do that. Yeah, he wasn't very humble about his climb down. I, I think he has a problem, Elon Musk, in believing that any problem will succumb to his enormous wealth. <laughs> he just throws enough money at the problem. Let's, let's just uh, reiterate here: Richard is not a fan of uh, Mr. Elon Musk's no, hi- I, I like Tesla. Oh, no, no, no. Hyperloop idea. I did used to like PayPal. I don't like them anymore. Just um, Hyperloop. I'm talking about. You don't like Hyperloop, do you? Well, it's an idea that can't possibly work, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And is not likely ever to be realised. I mean, sending people to Mars is also a little bit premature. Although I understand the visionary idea behind it, it's just not we're not ready there for that, are we? No. I mean, according to Time Life magazine that I read when I was a kid, we were supposed to have a moon base by now. And we, we can't even get to the moon. No. Our Artemis delayed again. I was not delayed though when I went to Berlin. Well maybe about half an hour delayed, which was not, not too bad. When did you go to now, Berlin, Richard? I went 
to Berlin for a holiday this week, Paul. And you said of wow. me going to Berlin, you said that you think I would like Berlin as a city. If you took the right PVC. And I, yeah, I've been... Have you been clubbing? I've been wondering ever since you made that comment what it was about Berlin that made you think I would like it. Or what it is about me that made you think I was compatible with Berlin. I don't know, the remnants of grotesquely derivative uh, Third Reich architecture? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, not that. No, I don't. It's a grandiose city, you know. It's built wide and it's built... It is built wide. Mm. That's true. Uh, And... uh, not, not nothing to say about how rich is built. I don't know about that. But uh, no, I just thought it would maybe suit your temperament and uh, you know your, your 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 outlook on life. I did. I'm surprised that you've been to Berlin. Well, my sister used to live in Munich. That's a different city, though, isn't M- it? München. No, it's not called that. Yeah, it is. Uh, and so I used to visit. Germany many times a year. Really? Okay. So where have you been in Berlin that I might have now been to? I don't know. I mean, okay. okay like, if sorry. you said to me, "Oh, Paul, where have you been?" Like in uh, where have you been? Where have you been in Bangkok, Paul? I was like, "Well, like I've been to Bangkok." Do you know what I mean? Where have you been in Manila? Like, I don't know. I was only there for two days. I was eating. Right. I was eating too much and getting drunk. So yeah, but I went to Berlin several times, and uh, yeah, it's pretty good. So what did you think of it, Rich, in particular? No, I did enjoy Berlin. It's got an amazing transport network, mm-hmm. sort of properly integrated. The U-Bahn and the S-Bahn and the, the metro and the buses and all of that stuff. Very good. I went to the zoo. I saw chimpanzees, bonobos, orangutans, <laughs> gorillas. We talked about those last week, actually. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I went to lots of different kind of museums and little displays about the war and it's absolutely it's packed with politics Berlin they love politics don't they the Germans did you not go to the startup quarter with all the tech startups I don't know which bit that is also Berlin is huge it's really big yeah it's big it really needs that transportation it's gross yeah yeah so uh so yeah did you have a good time Richard I did have a good time. You went to the zoo. People only go to the zoo if they're on a romantic date. Could I ask where you on a romantic date, Richard? That's that's privileged information. That's private information. Do you know, before this podcast, he said, we'll talk about it during the podcast, he said. (laughs) (laughs) My feet are killing me, though, because I've walked too far. And I got slightly flat feet, which doesn't make walking too far very pleasant. Now, three weeks ago... Three weeks ago, Paul, what? Three weeks ago, you know, I, uh, you were talking about the, the foamy thing that came off soap, and I said they were called suds. And you said, "Oh, okay, suds," which is what you call them. It also appears to be what the rest of the world called them as well, Richard. <laughs> apart from you. Listen, what I wanted to say though is, you're right. Berlin is, uh, you know, an estimable city. Very nice, good, good place to visit. Uh, I wanted to mention other cities that are receiving a lot of plaudits, but especially shit. recently. Now, have you ever have you ever been to Reading, Paul? Is it a city though? Uh, well, okay, it's a large town. If it's not a city, I've been to Reading, but I think it was about 1981 because um, one of my friends' grandmothers lived down there, and we went to stay for about seven days. That well, 1980. That sounds like before they had Nando's and things. So oh yeah, it, yeah. It probably wasn't that nice then, was it? So what's the great about Reading? Well, I've just noticed, I don't know if you've noticed, on social media and online, a lot of people have been talking about Reading. They, they seem to have found <laughs> Reading to, to be a really nice place to be, to to be a very sort of life-affirming place. <laughs> what are you uh, talking about? Have you not noticed this on social media? No, I have, certainly, no. over lockdown especially. And I looked up... Some very famous people and Who quotes come from about Reading. Reading. Oh, okay. So here's some interesting quotes about Reading, and it proves, by the way, that it's not just a recent thing. It's not just the post Nando's thing. It goes back a long way. For instance, what's this Nando's thing? Him. Is the headquarters of Nando's located in Reading? Or something? No, it's, Nando's is Portuguese, isn't it? No, no, it's South African. Oh. I don't know whether you've heard of Jim Rohn, the American entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker. Yeah. He said, what? Yes. Yeah. 
one. Great travel he said, No, he said that Reading, Reading is essential for those who seek to rise above the ordinary. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great review for a city, isn't okay, it? I know, no. I know <laughs> okay, I know. Okay. I'm talking to Richard. It had to be a Richard joke. <laughs> yeah, okay, reading. Yeah, I get it. Okay, I get it, Richard. It's funny. I'm reading these things. Yeah, of course. It's all online. It's uh, even Balzac said that Reading brings us unknown friends. <laughs> Reading was a thing even in Balzac's time. <laughs> Lena Dunham has said, "Let's be reasonable and add an eighth day of the week that is devoted exclusively to Reading." Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Jane Austen said. I declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like Reading. Yes. I've just been watching a documentary on Jane, actually. She never went to Reading. Well, <laughs> she went all over the place. She moved house, she moved house a hundred times, basically. But never, she never went to Reading. Polly, Reading was a thing. It's been a thing for about a thousand years or more, Reading. Yeah. So don't poo-poo these great cities of the country. Anyway, enough of this nonsense. <laughs> I hear Here's some nonsense music. music. Yeah. Paul, build as the worst movie on Netflix. Yeah. What's it called? Oh, God, that question again. Okay, so this week we are reviewing the charms of the movie Interceptor. Okay, Interceptor. Interceptor. Netflix movie cost 15 million to make. And, okay, just to go back on that, we did say it was billed as the worst Netflix movie ever, but I, I don't know where we read that because I can't find it again. So there we go. I read it in, like, my, my news feed is now and has been since we started this podcast full of movies being pitched at me, you know, in various different ways, usually in the form of, you know, 10 movies you have to watch on Netflix or Amazon before it disappears. Yeah. Quite often, you know, the, the secretly the best movie about X, Y, Z. Uh, and uh, another common thing is to say um, the worst movie on that streaming platform, which is about to be removed, you know, has to be seen to be believed kind of thing. So, Perhaps that's overselling this as the worst movie. Mm, maybe. But it's not It's not a good movie. <laughs> and mercifully, perhaps, only 100 minutes long. So, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, you wouldn't think it, would you? I did Very watch it on 1.25 speed, which meant it was only <laughs> 80 minutes long for me. And I never was really troubled by the dialogue at that speed, because sometimes with some movies, if you put it at 1.5 or 1.25, it's not really worth it's not really worth it, because you have to keep tracking back on critical modes of dialogue. But I was never really challenged with this movie about understanding where it was going and what it was doing. So it has I had to rewind twice, though. Has, so it, rewinding is a theme here. Yeah. So, well, how much did you say it cost? About 15 million to make. Really? So that's about 5 million per set. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it was straight to platform, so it, it, it never got a box office debut. So we don't know how much, like... It made back. But it was directed by Matthew Riley, who co-wrote it with Stuart Beatty. Okay. Uh, But I guess what is more newsworthy about this is is it was directed by Chris The Rock Hemsworth, wasn't it? The Rock Hemsworth. Oh, sorry. Is that that wrong? (laughs) It's the wrong stuff. He's Chris The Thor Hemsworth. Okay. Uh, Wow, so, I mean, yeah. It wasn't directed by him. He was an executive producer on it. Oh, okay. But this Matthew Riley guy you mentioned, who is a director and the writer, he is apparently famous for writing books of this kind of thriller genre. You know, Really? Yeah, the big, massive kind of everything hinges on the last, like, one second on the clock kind of countdown timer thing. Um, apparently that's his stock in trade. He's an Australian guy, yeah. apparently. Which is, as is, of course, Chris Hemsworth, I think. He's Australian too, I think. Isn't he? has a large collection of books like Hunt for Red October. That's exactly the kind of territory he wants to be in, isn't it? The question is whether he manage actually... to get there. Yeah. yeah. 
Or does he get like one foot stuck, a boot stuck in the muddy field and, and fall over kind of thing? I don't know. Rotten Tomatoes rated 44%, which isn't the worst Ooh. we've had. Uh, Metacritic no. rated at 51, which is definitely not the worst I've ever seen on Metacritic. So in terms of the worst movie on Netflix ever, I'm not really sure if it enters that kind of terrible territory. This is trying to be like a Steven Seagal 80s action movie, isn't it? It is, rather, yeah. yeah. Completely where it's... Except this. Unlike an 80s action movie, which would be full of one-liners, you know, it would be a wise-cracking hero, wouldn't it? We get a wise-cracking villain in this one, though. For short time. Yeah. He's not that funny, though. And our hero protagonist is, is not at all funny. She's quite serious about it all. Yeah. I think... I think. She is Spanish, right? The actress is Spanish and the character is Spanish. She comes in with a strong Hispanic kind of English accent at the beginning and then kind of loses it 15 minutes into the movie and just starts speaking fluent English, I think. Don't know if you noticed that. It does waver. It does waver. I mean, she's obviously very fluent in English, clearly. Clearly. But um, she's captain. She's a captain in the US Army, isn't she? That's right. Yeah, yeah. But So we should explain what's going on here. Yeah, well... At the start of the film, it explains that it would, it would take 24 minutes for nu- nuclear missiles from Russia to reach the USA. It's true, though. It would, it would. Well, we can talk about the, the, the reality of it, because uh, I've learned a lot today about this. But let, let's just say, <laughs> I think it is true that the US does have early warning detection sites. Yes. At both. I was going to ask, Greeley. is this real or not? Is it real, Fort, Fort Greeley? Fort Greeley is definitely an, an, an intercontinental mis- ballistic missile detection site, yes. So what they said in the movie was called an early warning station, okay? In Alaska, Fort Greeley. Uh, and uh, we learn immediately at the, begin- the, the beginning of the movie it's been compromised, presumably by terrorists, yeah. Yeah, this is this is one of the two sets, isn't it, that they've got. They build a little bit of a fence outside the complex <laughs> with a guard who's been shot. And, and suddenly the, hear, whole, the whole military defence complex is down. Yeah. We hear what's happening on a military radio, like a kind of radio play, really, don't we? Yeah. He's explaining that they've been attacked. It was an inside job. Everyone's dead, blah, blah, blah. Now, the other early warning missile defence system that they mention is real. No. SBX-1 is a real seaborne Early warning defense system that they have. This seaborne platform it. didn't look very floaty. It looked a bit more rigged down like an oil rig into the sea. No, it's one of those floating oil rig platforms. So uh, it it moves around. It's got engines. It goes about eight knots. Uh, they've built one of them so far, but the numbering SBX one suggests they may build a couple more. The idea is they can station it in the Pacific, and it does give broader coverage for uh, tracking these things. What it does not have, what it does not have that this film claims it does is any interceptor rockets on it ah. or any anti-ballistic It's just rockets. an early warning station. It's okay. just a radome, yeah, with uh, communications equipment. Anyway, anyway, as we helicopter shot into it, okay, uh, with, at the end of the titles, it says location secret classified 1500 miles northwest of uh, northwest of Hawaii. Well, not so fucking secret anymore then. <laughs> <laughs> Arriving new missile specialist on this chopper, Captain JJ Collins. Uh-huh. Just before that, it says, and these two places, they are interceptors. Sentence, they are interceptors on the screen. And then we get the title, Interceptor. Interceptor. Just in case we didn't quite realise what was going on. Yeah, okay. So Captain JJ Collins, she does arrive via helicopter. I guess that was a helicopter shot we were coming down. Tell us all about her, Richard. We don't know that much about her, do we? Uh, She's a missile specialist. Uh, we later learn that a name, I think, is is it Joanna Julia? It is, well remembered. That's strange, though, because in Spanish, wouldn't that be Joanna Julia? Well, they say Joanna Julia. Joanna Julia? Yeah. What, in the film? or In the, in the film. Maybe she's mixed race. Maybe Joanna's like from her Anglo dad, who wasn't the sex tourist, and like Julia's from her you know, Hispanic mother. Who knows? They call her JJ, anyway. She apparently grew up in Spain. Apparently she knows the boss of this base, who gives her a quick briefing. The Navy runs the boat. The Army handles the missiles. Whoa. 
uh, welcome aboard, welcome back. And it's obvious that something has happened yeah. to her in the past. Yes, some sort of scandal, some sort of disgrace has happened to her that she's been rehabilitated from. She's welcomed on little board by Enzyme Washington, who we don't really see again in the film because she dies very quickly. Uh, Colonel Marshall is the big guy, and Captain oh. Lou Walsh is like her old pal uh, who's hanging around. And so we, we get a tour of the the various uh, rather dull uh, military-grade rooms on the ship. And well, then- well, I mean, when you say tour, we go to the command room. Yes. And then she gets taken to her bunk room. The office first. She meets Colonel Marshall first, and then she gets taken to her bunk room. Which is just like something they filmed in Ikea, where they <laughs> took everything with any colour out. <laughs> Except the picture someone had put on the wall, which I think she recognises as a picture of her posing for a, a calendar with her boobs hanging out. There's a lot of underboob going on. Then, She's a very attractive, yeah. very attractive woman played. Uh, the actress is... Elsa Pataki, I believe her name is. So she's only just arrived in her bunk room and uh, Ensign Washington swings by and says, whatever disciplinary thing happened, uh, we're not we're not even part of it at this point. She says, oh, but all the girls here are supportive of you. And then the colonel swings round or calls her and says, I need you in the command centre with your side shooter out. <laughs> So something has with happened. With your side arm, with your side arm. Listen. He says side shooter, because I've copied this down with a button. I don't, that's not the term they use in the military, Paul. Well, he's side arm, don't Well, side shooter, he says. <laughs> I've actually <laughs> written it down. His, he's looking at his notes. Anyway, listen, maybe you're right, maybe you're right. Listen, I just want to say, it's fairly obvious. It's not completely uh, explained right at the start, but it's fairly obvious that she's going to have been involved in some kind of sexual assault scandal. Right? Yes. In this, like, otherwise knockabout, Steven Seagal-esque, you know, <laughs> tough woman, beating up guys thing, uh, which would, I think, be kind of light-hearted, kind of die-hardy. Yeah. <laughs> it seems a bit strange to insert a story about her being a sexual assault. Well, it's there for a reason, so that the baddie, who is a psychops expert, can, can yeah, play can with her yeah. mind, seem supportive... And at the same time, we have a villain, like, proposing, you know, female empowerment. And, and somehow, female empowerment becomes less desirable as a result of it coming out of his mouth. It's a very strange choice for him to be, like, the proponent for it all. All of the ethics and morals of this film are all over the place. I can't really work it out. I don't know whether it's good that they're putting in... Well, it's obviously a very real story for a lot of female, um, you know, military-serving personnel, right? Yeah. I mean, clearly, it really does happen. But you'd expect it to be treated, perhaps. Well, I don't know, maybe. But it's not, is it? It's audience washing. Right. Yeah. It's, it, there's yeah. nothing sincere about it, is there? It's just like, okay, let's have a female protagonist and let's make sure that we hit on a current day female empowerment issue. I mean, it's it's just audience washing, isn't it? Yeah. And well, I suppose so. Now, as you say, the reason that she's called immediately into the command centre with a gun is they're getting news of what's happening in the on Twitter base in Fort Greeley. What? On Twitter? No. Yeah, because comms is down. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the Pentagon haven't yet Zoom called them, which is what happens continuously throughout this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a Russian sub at 40 clicks, guys. Anyway, sorry, go on. Greeley's gone dark, they say. Comms have gone down. She meets... Corporal Shaw, I think. Corporal Shaw, who is Kiba Warrior. And she meets Beaver, who is essentially a, a redneck. A southern, a southern redneck. Now, he's been around for a while. She knows him from a previous duty here. Yeah. This Corporal Shaw is, is a newie, a freshie, only six months on the job. So you're immediately thinking, well, if there's an inside job going on, maybe it's, maybe it's Corporal Shaw, right? It, oh, I was going to say, he's uh, obviously not uh, white, is he? Oh, yeah. yeah, and then Beaver has his gaming laptop, laptop out, which is a bright colour, and you think, ah, oh, they're spotlighting that for a reason. And actually, nothing ever happens with his laptop apart from she uses it usefully at the end. But, you know, I thought this was going to be critical, that laptop, you know, that must be like the key to for the terrorists to come in. But it wasn't, in any case. There we go. This Now, this movie is full of really bad dialogue, uh, which... 
it's one of the reasons I think this film gets a bad rap. There's just some really badly written stuff. Like, you know the fact that we're saying that she's not particularly very funny, is she? No. There's some no. camaraderie banter exchange between these these people on the command centre. Yeah. And at one point, like, she snaps back to Beaver after he tells him some boring story about playing poker. She goes, I mean, he's only said two sentences. She goes, great story, Beaver. In what chapter do you shut the fuck up? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I guess it's the kind of wit you could expect from, uh, from a, uh, you know, serving soldier, but there you go. Anyway, breaking news. Somehow the Twitter feed or, you know, central, you know, uh, comms is back up. Uh, ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles, have been stolen. Uh, stolen from, from Russia. Chavlinka in Russia. 16 of them stolen, which is uh, a momentous and mammoth task to undertake. Uh, and it's not the Russians themselves. Oh, my gosh. There's only one thing to think here. You know, there's people people attacking uh, the Alaskan Fort Greeley and there's intercontinental missiles being stolen from Russia. It must be some sort of terrorist thing going on. Unauthorised missile removal. Uh, now, I looked this up, right? I mean, these are real things, you know. Mobile Russian, mobile ICBM launches. Wow. Kind of thing they parade through Red Square. Yeah. You know, every year. They're really, they're real things. They really do launch intercontinental ballistic, ballistic missiles. missiles. You could steal 15 or 18 or, I mean, they've got about, of different kinds. You've got like up to 200 of these. Are I they stored with the missiles on them though? I don't think they are, are they? Well, I guess we're all led to believe that, you know, all nuclear arsenals are ready to go in a moment's notice. Otherwise, the whole policy of mutual arms... It's only 12 uh, minutes before it goes past the midpoint, yeah. yeah. So... Now, the other thing that this film does is quite... It's quite corny, isn't it? It does things on the beat that you kind of know exactly what's going to happen. So, for instance, at this point... They're talking about, oh, it's probably a drill. And the boss guy goes, Marshall, is he called, he said? He goes, "Uh, if it were real, the Pentagon would have called us by now. Instantly, boom, the phone rings. Obviously, it's the Pentagon on Zoom. Hi, guys. (laughs) (laughs) You know, these missiles have... Been uh, been stolen and Fort Greeley's gone, so probably some kind of terrorist thing. Wait, now she it- now she's really fast. She's so fast. She's so much faster than the rest of them. Captain Collins says, "Wait a minute. Okay, they've shut down Fort Greeley. They've stolen ICBMs. Perhaps they've got a plant behind the lines right here now." Cue gunfire. Boom. Boom, yes. <laughs> he gets shot in the head. Everybody dies. Like All these people they spent the time introducing are just dead at this point. I don't know why they've introduced these characters. It's basically just her and that keyboard warrior at this point is left on her, on her team, isn't it? Now, so far, apart from her IKEA bedroom and a few corridors, we've only seen the command centre, which has got lots of screens in it and stuff. Yeah. Now we see the second part of the set, the second set which is the little corridor that goes into the command centre, which for some reason, I don't know why, is full of steam pipes, so that when there's a gunfight going off, <laughs> the steam pipes get hit, <laughs> and steam starts coming out of them. And of course, it's pressure locked twice on either side. Now, it's like an airlock. Yes. She, she dispatches, so there's a struggle in here. She dispatches with lots and lots of the terrorist team pretty quickly, and it's obvious they're hid out, so she, it's obvious that she's not taking them all out. But the ones that appear, she just kind of thwocks and docks and, and stabs and, and plabs or whatever it is, whatever she well, does. The, the one There's that one left, she managed, to, she managed to lock the door. There's one guy there, and she has a fight with him. Yeah, he's got a, a good pack. He's got a get backpack with a bunch of green goo comes out of it when it gets broken. sulfuric acid, apparently. I didn't, it wasn't where it was green. And some of it gets on her shirt. And then whilst they're fighting, he grabs her, her pistol, and she uh, dismantles it so he's holding the slide, and then shoves the rest of the gun into his eye. Yes. And kills him with it. And I think we've seen that in another movie. I couldn't tell you which one it is, but it's quite badass. I think they're trying to say she's a badass. And the, of course. The, yeah, sorry. The surviving members on the team say, what's he brought sulfuric acid? She says, to destroy our circuitry so we can't fire our interceptors. And she's right. But not before. Not before. She's standing in that little <laughs> corridor and she's, she realizes there's acid dissolving the stuff on the floor and it's on her shirt. So she has to take her shirt off. And thankfully, she's wearing 
the article of clothing we have often wondered what the point of is. She's wearing a vest underneath. She Very is, die hard. Yeah. So she can take his shirt off and throw it away because he's got acid on it. All while the main bad guy, who we learn later is called Alexander, is watching through the outer door that she'd managed to close as security. Now there's intercom, so they can like speak clearly through this vacuum sealed door. Uh, and uh, he, we see the re- bring the rest of his team on. They're obviously going to weld, or sorry, blowtorch their way through. Now this is where we get the first hint of Alexander Castle's incredible humour. She says, you've really messed up here. He says, yeah, we subcontracted terrorists. Uh, You can't get the workers these days. JJ says, well, that's impossible. How do you take out, how do you take out Fort Greeley? You can't work at a military base without a background check. And he says, you're telling me the paperwork was unbelievable. Okay. So he's, you know, he's, he's cracking around with these jokes. He's cracking wise. You missed a point, part, though, where JJ goes back to the command center and gets a can of foam sealant so she can seal off one of the steam pipes. That's going to be critical as another weapon later on. Later on, it's going to be very important. Now, Why do you have steam pipes in... Um, I don't know. In a, like a really modern electro-warfare, you know, early warning system station? No, no, I don't know. Anyway, Alexander says, you can call me Alexander Castle. I don't know why he tells us her real name, but he does do. Well, he's flirting with her, Paul. I know. Yeah, he's so, in his The whole point thing. of this window yeah. and the ability to speak, apart from him being able to do the villain monologue, of course, he has to be able to flirt with our sexy protagonist. Then we get our second bit of jokey dialogue. He says, you know, my name's Alexander Castle. You'll never forget my name again. She says, how about I call you asshole instead? And he says, oh, usually that comment is reserved for a second date. So that was more <laughs> funny. That was more funny dialogue. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's it, though, isn't it? That's the only kind of joke. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he's used a nerve agent to put the crew to sleep, in inverted commas. Yeah. He's quite forthcoming about his plans, isn't he? Considering that she has the Pentagon on on Zoom behind her. <laughs> uh, anyway, Pentagon asks her how long till they break through the two doors... She has a look. Mm. She says, oh, probably about 60 minutes. Then another blowtorch starts on Beat. Another blowtorch. <laughs> oh, make that 30. <laughs> oh, really ramping up the tension here. I can see we're all tentacles at the edge of our seats. Okay. And, and the Pentagon s- say, oh, the SEAL team are 90 minutes 90 away. 90 minutes away. Team is 90. Yeah. Madame President. Yeah. Okay. So we've got a female president. Hooray. Clap, clap. You know, virtue points for that. Wow. I mean, they're all crowding around the table with one camera. Well, I, ever since COVID, every business that I've been to yeah. has got like an amazing boardroom now with this full on like automated camera system that points at whoever's speaking. Or, you know, they all have their own cameras, right? Pointing yeah. straight at their face. You don't need to sit at one end of the Pentagon table. I mean, she actually kind of muscles away in front, doesn't she? <laughs> she goes, I'm Madam President, and she sits down. <laughs> now, I don't know what happens next. But there's lots of service hatch, you know, vacuum seal service hatch tied with kung fu action once they've spoken. Oh, no, well, hold on. First thing that happens is we've got to figure out that AK is, of course, a psycho. So he gets another crewman from another part of the ship. Apparently wasn't nerve-gassed. And he puts him to the window and he tells her to open the door. And she says, kill anyone you want. I'll never open this door. And then he kills kills him. And meanwhile, she's dealing with um, the two other crewmen. Beaver got hit by a bullet in the initial exchange and he's out cold, apparently. But they don't really pay much attention to him until much later, because why would you? And and Shah is very nervous, isn't he? He says, I'm not a fighter, although he's in the army. He says, I'm not a fighter. <laughs> he's one of those guys who joined just to get a career, wasn't he, presumably? Yeah. Or he likes messing with computers. Or he liked travel, perhaps. Um, so he says, I'm not, a, I'm not a fighter. And she has to give him like a, a morale boost, tells him, you know. And he says, and what if they launch? <laughs> and she says, we intercept. I mean, it is the purpose of this entire station, and I presume his only job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the only job of these guys is when all the computer systems go, Beep, beep, beep. Missile launch detected. It's to press Their the only button. job is to press the red button. Yeah. And it seems to me that you could probably cut that job out of the entire loop, couldn't you? You could these days, yeah. Yeah. 
Now, I don't know, is the service hatch compromised for a short time by some of his accomplices? You know, what happens next, unaccountably, don't know why, but a hatch in the floor bursts open. That's right. And, and a ninja jumps out, apparently. That's right. Kung Fu action and he has like service a service hatch. Kung Fu fight. Yeah. With a jarring Obviously. orchestral score to boot, yeah. I mean, there's so much orchestral score going on in this movie, it just never ends. Yeah, she kills him. That's right. And then, of course, having killed him, Alex, Alex Kessler comes to the comes to the uh, port door and has a tete a tete. And this is well, where he's got we get he's got psychops sexy pictures versus yeah. psychops. Yeah, they're both messing with each other's mind. She says, "Ah, you weren't expecting me." He says, "Yes, I was." She says, "You're a planner, and I can see you're scrambling by showing sexy pictures of me." Ah, uh, yeah. So that's great sight work from her. This, by the way, though, is. Let me tell you, this is terrible acting from her. <laughs> it's and probably then, the least convincing moment in the film. Then he comes back with her whole backstory. Okay, the Army Review Board and General Creep who touched her up. And, uh, yeah, he's playing psychological games. And he says, Kessler, Kessler says, hey, you won the battle, not the war. I know you attempted suicide. So great counter-psychops from Kessler there. Yeah, it was very, very intense and very, very deep. He offers her $30 million to walk away, which, you know... To be honest, it's a yes from me. Yeah, I I think I would have said yes. Paul, the instant you open the door, he's going to kill you, surely. No, if I really said yes. (laughs) But you pretty promised. You really, really mean it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, seals are inbound, so obviously there's a time... 67 minutes now. 67 minutes till seals, seals are away. Wait a minute, Beaver wakes up. And, unfortunately, shoots both of them. He shoots JJ and he shoots... Luckily, she's wearing very protective armour. They're both wearing bulletproof vests, yeah. So they're winded uh, and they're disabled. They they wind up tied to chairs, don't they? Cue another sort of tete-a-tete at the window where... where Not the window. Because obviously Beaver opens the door now. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, Beaver... AK walks in now and he's got his special iPhone, which somehow works in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Not before we get a spiel about why he's doing all this. Yeah. And we get we get a whole thing about it's all America's fault. America's a shithole and uh, everything's wrong. My billionaire He's dad. the son. He's yeah. the son of a billionaire. Yeah. Which, of course, we all hate these guys, as we've discussed earlier. And then Collins comes back with her psychops blows. I mean, it's, it's just like it's like it's like WWF wrestling with psychops here. She says, "Blame America, blame the government, blame everybody but yourself." That's what losers do. And I don't think I have a comeback to that. I think I would be humbled and belittled by that comment. <laughs> yeah, she goads him by calling him a loser. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't even swear at him. Beaver, meanwhile, he's a bit simpler, isn't he? He's just a immigrants came to take my job like this guy. Oh, Beaver, yeah, 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 yeah. So he's doing it because he's a patriot. He's a, a pure white supremacist, really. Now, they managed to overtake the whole emergency broadcast system of the United States, our incoming terrorists. Yeah. But I don't know how they do that. No, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing you should be able to do from, from a Pacific from, early warning from system. From the middle of the Pacific, yeah. How do you do that but from we've the middle seen, of the Pacific? We've seen the early warning, early emergency broadcast system in action before in, in like those meteor films where it flashes up on people's phones, haven't we? And, yes. Uh, and breaks into the news. But in, in this case, they're taking over the entire America's TV screen. Incredibly, yeah. everywhere, Amazingly. Including... An electronic shop where Chris Hemsworth has got a cameo role yeah. in the movie he's producing as a TV salesman called Jed. Now, this was supposed to be deeply comic. Yeah, it's, I imagine... A bit like the pizza guy in Stranger Things last, last season kind of thing. Well, it's supposed to be the bit, if this was a cinema movie, which obviously it isn't, where the cinema audience would be whooping and hollering that they've seen Thor, or they've seen Chris Hemworth, Hemsworth, you know, selling TV. It doesn't really come over like that, does it? They also overdo it, right? Because it's not the. F- we go back to him at least two or three times, yeah. or once in the credits at the end, where he's watching events unfold. Because now, apparently, everyone in America, certainly, is watching everything that's happening being broadcast live on the emergency broadcast system. Well, Kessel tells the whole nation, look, I've got 16 nuclear warheads. Uh, 
But I'll tell you what, I'm going to kill the L.A. rooster to frighten the U.S. monkeys, okay? He says, I'm going to watch, you all going to watch L.A. suffer and know what's going to hit you. He says, this is my first missile to launch. (laughs) (laughs) No, look, we should just say, the reason that they've taken over Fort Greeley and this SBX-1 floating platform is if they take out these things, supposedly... The U.S. won't be able to shoot down the nuclear missiles. That's right. So That's, we can, yeah. So we've not so really mentioned wanted, that, have we? No, no. I just want to talk very briefly about you know America's missile defense system because Ronald Reagan instigated a research program to try and develop these anti-nuclear weapon systems, didn't he? And you know what is the state of the art? And what can they do? I mean, we've all seen America deploying in various theatres of war Patriot missile defence systems, which defend against short-range and tactical missiles by taking them out as they're incoming. But not aeroplanes. Well, not not civilian aeroplanes that fly into towns. But anyway, enough of that. Sorry, continue, Richard. Intercontinental... I don't know where you're going with that, Paul. Dangerously conspiratorial territory. Intercontinental ballistic missiles are a bit of a different problem right and there are all solutions that can shoot down they think but it's never been in tested. actual fact they can't they're too fast well the problem is that there are so many missiles and remember that each missile carries sometimes one sometimes four sometimes ten warheads yeah and additionally modern missiles also have countermeasures and decoy warheads. So I think one of the new ones the Russian has, I think it deploys 50 vehicles. Ten of them are real warheads. The rest of them are decoys. In in any real nuclear situation, we're going to get immediate uh, mutual escalation and mutual issue destruction, aren't we? So, I mean, they they wouldn't fire one. They'd fire them all, wouldn't they? So in this circumstance, it might be possible Though it's, again, I want to stress, untested. That if you fired one or even 14, you might be able to track them and and send up missiles. Um, whether it would depend on just two radar stations, I'm not sure. The purpose of SBX-1 in real life is actually to try and identify decoys. So it's got very high-resolution radar, with the idea being that rather than just tracking, you know, an object, they'll be actually be able to tell which are the real wires and which are not. Whoa! Uh, the same, I think, is true in Fort Greeley. The launches themselves are detected by satellite, so satellites in space see the infrared signals of launches as they break the clouds, if there's clouds, and that's how they know a launch has occurred. But at that point, you don't know where they're going. You know, you've got very little information about the intended target. We get so it. you'd probably have to wait until the missiles were en route. And now you've got about 20 minutes. 20 minutes. I think. Or 12. When they're en route. According to which film you watch. <laughs> well, yeah, one of the problems, as you point out, Paul, is it's trying to, like, hit a bullet with a bullet. Yes. Except they're faster than bullets. Incoming, incoming uh, warheads go at about Mach 24 when they re-enter. So uh, you really want to get them before they're going that fast and ideally before they've released all of the decoys and all the warheads. But that's very difficult to do. And for that, you don't have 12 minutes. For that, you have about 50 seconds decision time. I see. Um, And, you know, that's probably not practical. We get Kessel now. Uh, He's tied up. He has tied up uh, our wonderful uh, Captain JJ. Collins. Yeah, JJ, JK, whatever she's called. Uh, and we get his year zero <laughs> polemic. Okay. Uh, we get his year zero polemic, yeah. America is the greatest lie ever told. Yeah. American exceptionalism? Maybe once with the Founding Fathers, <laughs> but not since then. The only way is to erase our nation and start over. Yeah, I think it was. It wasn't too convincing a cause, was it? Really, it was a bit muddled. Yeah, but whilst he's got, whilst she's got him talking, uh, she does some amazing zip tie behind her, you know, zip tie wrist to machine gun combo kind of wrestling move. 
they're talking something about her past, aren't they? Yeah. She says, oh, I was, I was a so- soccer player. Oh, yeah, yeah. were you any good? I was a goalkeeper. So I dislocated my thumbs many times. As she's doing that, of course, beat, you know, she dislocates her thumbs behind <laughs> her back. She pops out of the zip ties. Uh, she gets him to come closer. Come closer. It's like, it's like, it's like based by the cool on the gun. On the one, boom. On the one, boom. On the one, boom. You know, it's like, say it, do it, say it, do it. <laughs> It's beautifully choreographed. It's amazing. It's balletic. She grabs a machine pistol. They all have machine pistols. I don't know why. Because you run out of ammunition really quickly with a machine pistol. And she manages to kick, simultaneously, AK and Beaver out of the security door again. Well and closes it. Well, yeah. Good, good thinking. Uh, and now she's only got the sexy female terrorist, who was the one who actually cut through the door in the first place, with braids. Um... She has to have a fight with her. She ends up stabbing her with a sort of st- a stag award, like a, a bust of a, a trophy, stag. yeah, or something. A like trophy, that. that's the yeah. word. Uh, she stabs stabs her with that, uh, and then she grabs the sealant foam can and well, shoves sir. it in. Shoves it into Braid Lady's <laughs> mouth. This was gruesomely enjoyable. I thought it was the best, one of the best moments of the movie. And once she's done that, she can press the red button. And launch the interceptor to take out what? the LA bound missile. <sighs> Saved just in time. Well, now but, we get more Psychops versus Psychops. No, because Braid oh. stands up again. She coughs oh, the foam briefly, out and grabs yes. a gun. Briefly, yes. And again, there's another bit of a shootout. Uh, and guess what? Our Colonel Collins, or sorry, not Colonel Collins, Captain Collins gets through. No problem. Okay, now we get some real Psychops versus Psychops stuff. Okay. Well, he's uh, mad, isn't he? AK's he's mad, mad that she really shot the mad. missile down. Really mad. So he gets her daddy. Yeah. Or his accomplices in the States get a daddy uh, on speakerphone, on camera. And daddy's being kidnapped from his care home. And uh, he says, you know, you got a choice. Open the door, let me in, or I kill your father. Yeah. And, and we know, we know that he's a psycho. Because the Pentagon on the Zoom call went to, they, they told JJ that he used to work in PSYOPs and he was also head of torturing prisoners, which we know, obviously the Americans do do that. Not sure they have a guy who was their go-to <laughs> guy, but anyway. He was they, too good at it. He was he, too he good. He was good. Yeah, he killed two prisoners. That doesn't sound like being good at torturing. That sounds more <laughs> like the opposite of being good at torturing. But there we go. He's a psycho, clearly. We know that. Anyway, we hear a gun go off and, you know, uh, the, the phone a camera is dead. Uh, we can only presume that her dad has been killed. And she goes, wait a minute. You know, I was only transferred, transferred here 24 hours ago. How do you find my dad in such a short time? And he says, yeah, well, uh, we knew of your transfer 72 hours ago. And they never actually followed this up with anything. But apparently, you know, they've got there's some intimation that there's some big inner army I don't know, cartel controlling all this. Who knows? But anyway, it's not pursued in any meaningful way. Then we get another acronym, HVAR, H-V-A-R, the HVAR protocol. And I've got no idea what that is. Oh, I can explain that, Paul. This is AK's backup plan. Because what he does is he he grabs a laptop, a military ruggedized laptop, and he goes up to one of the commanding officers that he's killed that's in the corridor. And he uses his finger to unlock the, the laptop. Clever. The fingerprint. And now he can activate the scuttling protocol, <laughs> which will send XB, X, XBX1 to the seafloor. Now, why didn't he do that right at the beginning? It seems like I a much easier know. way of doing this. Meanwhile, Scuttling JJ, means to scupper something at sea, I presume. That's right. It, yeah, it, it's, it's making it sink. That's right. Meanwhile, JJ is convincing Shah that he's got to go downstairs now and close the valves. Yes, some reason thirteen minutes to, to you know to do this because it's going to sink in thirteen minutes, or at least the guns are going to be underwater in thirteen. Yeah, minutes. as long as the, the top of it is is still on the surface, they can still fire the missiles even if it is sinking. And if he closes down the valves, which are presumably been opened by the scuttling protocol, then they can buy some time. And See, if I was going to scuttle. You know, yeah, a platform like that. I think it may have some, you know, some more destructive means of doing it, but obviously not. Yeah, you'd want it to be a guaranteed event. Yeah. If you were going to have scuttling protocol, yeah. Not yeah. get the uh, office nerd to, you know, to close a few <laughs> valves and everything's okay. 
But anyway, that's but he, what he comes good, movie. Paul. He's not. He might be the office nerd, but he comes good. He puts yeah. on. He puts on some uh, swimming goggles and he jumps yes. down through the hatch. This is like an episode of Big Bang Theory where neurodiversity leads to good results. <laughs> he does an amazing. It does an amazing feat first dive, doesn't it? What we call a jump into the water. Now at this point, JJ's got shit to do. She ends the call with the president without saying goodbye, even yeah. on a Zoom call. Ooh, she's a busy lady, isn't she? The SEAL team is 25 minutes away. Oh, so close. The tension's palpably rising. Beaver is told to go down to deal with Shah. And he does so while Shah's in the middle of it. At one point, he nearly has a change of heart, maybe. He says, I'm not a murderer. Uh, no, I'm a fucking patriot. And he shoots Shah in the head. Now, she, JJ Collins, has an amazing idea. She thinks, wow, if I can somehow make this bad guy preemptively launch the missiles by sinking the platform or letting the platform seem <laughs> to sink, then he'll presume that there's no defence so he doesn't have to wait or something. Then he'll launch the missiles, I can play dead and then we can stop the missiles? No, the idea is... I didn't really get to. it to be honest with you. First of all, she's found a way of cutting the feed, so and she tapes up the window so AK can't see what she's doing. Right. And she has a chat with the Pentagon guys, and she goes, listen, the only thing we can do here is I'll pretend, I'll give up, basically. I'll pretend that, they, that they've that they taken the control center. They'll think they've got control. They'll launch the missiles. Oh, then I'll okay. retake the command center, and then I'll launch the interceptors and destroy the missiles and then the whole thing will be game over. So very cleverly, she hides in a fire suit. Uh, Which we've seen several times through the thing. We've seen these fire suits and cupboards. Yeah. Sort of Chekhov's gun style. We know that they're going to come in at some point. And, but not before the game theory expert in the Pentagon has <laughs> ca- somehow calculated the odds of success of this plan at only 14%. Yeah. Presumably what he does. 40% only. He, presumably what he does is he looks through all the actual, ta- actual what do you call them, actuary tables yeah. for all of the other attacks that have happened by terrorists on early warning <laughs> radar systems at sea <laughs> and all of the times that they've pretended to let them think they've taken the control centre and then taken it back. But mostly he says this so she can come up with a very, very pithy one-liner. Yeah, my idea is 40%, yours is 0%. 0%. And that can <laughs> Convinces him because like, <laughs> she just delivers that line with such a plot. Well done. So she hides. They don't know where she is. Beaver climbs in. They decide they're going to fire all the missiles. They obviously do that. AK now, when sends... they're searching for her, because they know she's in there somewhere, or they send she's up on the roof for. <laughs> yeah, we know the game is like somewhere. hot or colder, don't we? Yeah. yeah, we do. But usually in these kind of movies, we go to the protagonist and we see them trembling, we see them sweating, we hear the approach of footsteps. And, and in this movie, there's none of that sense of people's perspective, is there? We just see no, people right. poking poking some fire suits, and, and that's why it fails cinematically. I think this this movie is. We don't get people's perspective, do we? No, you're completely right. It's almost like a stage play, right? Yeah. It's a it's a, like a one set thing. Things happen in it, but as the audience, you never really let in on anything and they don't set anything up. Yeah. I know we've said sometimes they show an object um you know before it becomes important. But like for instance, at the very beginning, you know when we mentioned obviously you've got this thing about the uh, the Alaska base being taken over, and they're saying that it's an inside job. And you already, you already know, like you say. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to be an inside job here. And like, you know, like thirty minutes later, JJ is having the same idea, and you're going, "Yeah, fucking obviously." But then but, again, interesting. We never find out. Hang on. We never find out how the inside job is done. I mean, but, but aren't this is it. No, they? you're exactly right. This is the point I'm making. Is it, uh, an experienced filmmaker, right? Would have had. Like crewmen on the vessel, like doing shit. And yeah. initially, you'd think, oh, they're just doing normal work on the ship, you know, like polishing the missile or stuff like that. And then one of them would, like, you know, drop a toolbox 
and there would be like a Russian passport <laughs> poking out of it, or you know, don't, don't, or a don't. gun would be in their back when they. Whereas over, in you this know. movie, when the ninja yeah. needs to appear, he needs to appear he from just, nowhere. He just pops yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. There's no setup to pay off. Sure, it's like how twelve-year-olds write action, action, action stories. You know, in their English class, isn't it? You know, it's like, oh, I need, I need something to happen. Well, I'll, I'll just make it happen, kind of thing. You know. So and you know, and when they try to set things up, it's done. Like so obviously and so close together, like like I don't know where that stag trophy came from. We maybe saw it in the command center earlier, but it becomes you know an important thing. She stabs him in the eye with it, you know, and then that killing the braids girl with the foam. I mean, it was fun, like you said, but he didn't kill her, right? It just she just coughed it up a moment later. So it right, didn't so, solve the problem. Unfortunately, we've got to finish this plot. I mean, I think we're almost there, aren't we? I mean, it's like basically, like she's hidden away, then she kills them, and then she stops the missiles midair, and that's it. But really, she can't. Isn't it? But she can't press the big red button because he's poured acid on. That's right. I forgot. But yeah. that's okay because she pulls out like a USB adapter from under the desk. <laughs> she grabs Beaver's gaming laptop and goes that's upstairs and right. plugs it in directly, and then she has another fight, of course. But ultimately, you know what's going to happen Like in the last 10 seconds. In fact, she actually falls off the platform, doesn't she? That's what happens. She hangs a guy with, with razor oh, wire. Yes, that, that was another satisfying moment, actually. Yeah. We get, <laughs> she has we to get a climb head. away back. All the while, the Pentagon are watching excitedly on Guess Zoom. Guess what? Guess what? She presses the fire button 0.037 seconds before... Before things were going to blow, okay. But well. you, but to get up there, she had to do a whole like Ninja Warrior UK thing, where she's got one no, arm injured. No, I noticed down. It's one armed American ninja uh, on the sort of the monkey swing. It's incredible. Yeah. It's just incredible. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? And guess what? After all this, her dad's not dead. What well, the gunshot she heard through the intercom uh, through the porthole. Uh, was actually his dad's f- army friends shooting the terrorists. So it's all okay. And, of course, we missed the other bit where AK finds her on the roof and they have a quick fight and then a Russian sub surfaces. We oh, know yeah. it's been around. We know it's been around. It's supposedly his escape route. It surfaces. The captain gets out of the conning tower and I think we're supposed to think briefly that AK is going to get away. But then the captain steps aside and a sniper shoots him and then the sub goes away. Then the Navy SEALs arrive and then she wakes up in hospital and the president very kindly gives her a week off before starting <laughs> a new job. A new job. Before, before telling her that her dad's alive. She does manage to smile at the Russian submarine captain who actually <laughs> planned the end of the world with AK. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah. What is that? What, if the Russian Navy are in on it, why... Did they have to steal well, the missile? I think we're supposed to assume it's corrupt members. Or it's a dissident. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's complicated but she smiles political at, smiles at as if he's a decent person. He's not a decent person. <laughs> he's killing a, a, AK because the plan didn't come off. If the plan had come off, the end, it would have been the end of the world, you know. So it was very... Like, how he's presented as a hero or a nice guy at the end is just, is just strange, generally. So also, the movie's got this like really weird thing going on where uh, are we supposed to think that this is anti-woke or pro-woke or wokeness is making people soft so that this will happen or Cause it's, it's a very kind of muscular like military idea but on the other hand also the old military of you know womanizing sexually assaulting old generals are also painted in a very bad light and yet at the end of the day you know, the Navy SEALs win the day, don't they? 14%. This is, I mean, this is it. I mean, it it was straight-jacketed by an assumption that it could only follow, you know, Hollywood tropes and particularly Hollywood endings and outcomes, you know. The fact her dad didn't die is just frankly, you know, oh, the gunshot was his friends who happened to break in to the care home and save him, you know. It's just ridiculous in the sense that heroes, uh, heroes must have happy outcomes. And in that sense, he felt really, really old. But it was, Listen. it was, it was a timed, it was a timed interventions where everything kind of happened just when it should do that I felt was like the corniest aspect of this movie. If I asked you how you think this 
came to be made, but what would your best guess be? I got no idea. I got no That's idea. because for somebody who loved very... orche- orchestrated soundtracks, I don't know. We had an orchestra for 85 out of 90 minutes, but go on, tell me. You're missing a very important piece of information, I think, that perhaps your research did not, has not shown up. I don't know. Who is Elsa Pataki, the star, married to? Chris Hemsworth. Yes, exactly. No. Yes. No, stop right now. <laughs> so Chris Hemsworth, executive producers this film. He wants a vehicle for his wife. Oh, Show how badass she is. Shoehorns are in now. She is badass, by the way. I mean, it looked like she was doing those one-armed monkey grabs like herself. She's <laughs> she's toned, man. He gets to put his wife oh, in this fire. in this die-hard style, Steve Stevens a girl style hero movie. It's worse than Tory government ministers procuring face masks, isn't it? This and all the while he is watching. In the movie, he's got a character in the movie. He's watching his wife do the whole thing. <laughs> no. Anyway, can we can we just give some scores? Let's cut to the chase and give it some. Sure, scores. sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So, Paul, where do we start with acting? <laughs> so, normally, no acting. Normally, a. yeah, I would say acting wasn't the strong point in any part of this movie. I'm gonna have to give it a four and say no more. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's partly because she's Spanish and, you know. Yeah. Maybe she's not acting in a... And she's fed some terrible dialogue. Terrible dialogue, yeah. Could be the writing as ever. But it's not persuasive. Like I say, the worst bit was where she's doing that bit to AK. And she says, you know, she's trying to say, that you know, this plan isn't coming together, you know. And she's, she, she's doing it in a very kind of stage acty kind of way. Whereas really, you'd want it up close against the window and, you know, sweating and vicious, perhaps. Or perhaps wisecracky. But, yeah, it was bad. I, th- I think a four is fair. Let's, How about the dialogue it. and the plot together? I'm going to have to score this a three. I it wasn't thought, great. I did think that all of the technology and the missile stuff was going to be completely out of whack. But mm. I have researched it now, and it's not, you know, SPX-1 is real. Well, it doesn't have missiles on it. So I'll give it a four for having a crack at some of it. Mm. But, yeah, all of those corny, corny beats. <laughs> on the beat, every time it happened, just as it's supposed to. Oh. The emergency pop-up ninja. Where did, where did that even come from? <laughs> they didn't earn it, did they? That's the problem. Now, how about action? This for me was the strongest aspect of this movie. There yeah, were some good, good action gore moments, you know. D- you yeah. know, severing somebody's head with the, with barbed wire, hanging them, razor wire, hanging mm-hmm. them with razor wire, and then of course the head just being left and their body falling to the sea. Uh, uh, sealant foam in the mouth, uh, yeah. gun in the eye. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I thought it, it went to a level of of violent action that was actually quite nice and satisfying. Although you couldn't really enjoy it because the, the villains weren't drawn in enough detail to really want something bad to happen to them. So I'm going to give it six for action. I'll give it a seven for action, Whoa. in fact. Okay, final category. How about countdown suspense? Because, I mean, it, it, <laughs> it was all about the timing, this movie, wasn't it? So Yeah, I kept writing down the times. I thought they were going to be very important. Um, but... <laughs> Notice we didn't even get to see any Navy SEALs because that would have been too expensive. So we had, what, a hospital bed. We had the control room and the, and the steam corridor. We had a helicopter shot at the beginning. We did have a helicopter shot, yeah. I wonder if the uh, US Army or Navy helped them with this. Didn't, didn't read that in the credits. Yeah, for this I'll give it a... For Countdown... Well, but is it good or bad, Paul? I don't understand. Is ten good for countdowns? Are we yeah. supposed to want? Are we supposed to want countdowns? Well, we're supposed like, to want countdowns that we can believe, you know, are critical, and a film that manages yeah, okay, that tension and our expectation <laughs> in, in, in a worthwhile way. Okay, I'm going to give it a four. It tried to. It never really managed it, but you know, at least they got the seconds and the milliseconds right. So yeah, my final score is four point five out of ten. It's not that's your overall score. It's not an absolute turkey. It is laughable in some parts. Uh, generally, it the action works, but that's it. Doesn't it, really. drag. It doesn't drag. No. no, 
it's relatively entertaining, I suppose. It's bad for a number of corniness reasons. Yeah, and the dearth of any decent dialogue. You know, we, you know, you want dialogue. You want you want good jokes. There's, if you're going to put bad jokes in, I, I'd say the choice would leave them out. You know. Uh, yeah, you either put in wise, cracky one-liners and make it funny, and have your characters, you know, uh, what's the word, empathetic and charming, or you make it very grittily realistic, like yeah. a, you know, a, a real spy espionage type thing. We didn't get either of those things. Instead, we got, in a way, it was a bit like an MMA kind of fight, wasn't it? <laughs> It was in a confined cage fighting area. There were some great combos there. I, I did say there were some great WF combos. Like, I don't know what they were, but they, yeah. It's an action movie for the MMA generation. There we go. 4.5 for me overall. What do you do, Rich? I'll give it a 4. Yeah! There we go. Not too bad. Okay, uh, time is almost up. I have to ask you, Richard, next week, what would you be interested in watching? One thing that's out in the movies at the moment is... Bodies, bodies, bodies. Excuse my paper crackle. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Would that be some sort of uh, people, you know, millennials at home under threat kind of thing? It's a house party, Ooh. and I think it, I think it riffs on ideas of class and, but also, uh, but also, what's the word? You know, social media. Tantalizing. And influence on young okay. Generation X. I'm going to pitch that against Synchronic. Millennials. So take your pick, Richard. Bodies, bodies, bodies versus Synchronic. Let it be your choice. Well, <laughs> Synchronic is on Netflix. Bodies, 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 we'd have to go to the cinema. Please. Let's go to the movies. You, you are able to go to the movies this week. I Can am, confirm. yes. <laughs> confirm that. Okay. Well, in that case... Bodies, Bodies, Bodies will be Yay. next week's. It's another A24 movie, by the way. Whoa, are they just making so much at the moment, aren't they? And we generally love the A24 movies, I think. Mean, okay. So expecting great things. Certainly more than Interceptor. <laughs> Which didn't disappoint too much in the end. Okay, join us next time. I'm doing Richard's job here. For what, Richard? Bodies, Bodies, Bodies on Drive-By Cinema. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. See you on the next one. Ciao for now. Thank you.